It's a great joy to be with you. I want to welcome those who are visiting us. Melissa's parents, always a joy to have you with us. Michael's mom is here. It's a joy to have you with us. You have been with us all the time. <laughs> it's a joy to have you with us. <laughs> Would you please open your Bibles to Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 6. We are coming towards the end of this wonderful portion of Scripture. And if you can, would you please stand and let's read God's majestic word. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the, the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To the end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, the words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. Boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. You may be seated. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing to our Lord and God. Amen. If we were to ask, how important is prayer in the life of the church? How important is corporate prayer in the life of the church? How powerful is when the members of the church are praying together. I believe the, the great majority of the Christians, especially in America, would say, oh, it's so important. It's so vital. Yet, sadly, we have been seeing throughout the past decades a decline in corporate prayer. Uh, a lack of prayer gatherings, prayer meetings, Corporate prayers, we hardly ever see that. A lot of groups studying the scriptures, but very few of the church together praying with one accord, with one voice. Let me ask you, if you're to look for a different church, if you move out of here, God's providence, you need to find a different church, would you look at that church and see if they have a church prayer meeting? 
would you be as concerned you are for the statement of faith, the qualification of the leadership, to see if that church gathers together to pray? D. Carson, in his excellent book, A Call to Spiritual Reformation, he says, what is both surprising and depressing is the sheer, the sheer prayerlessness that characterizes so much of the Western church. We would, all, we would all agree that there is power in prayer. But if there is power in prayer and the church is not praying, what happens? As we come to his final words here uh, in the topic of spiritual warfare, Paul now is drawing our attention. He's drawing our attention to one of the most powerful weapons that we have in our struggle with Satan. And that's not private prayer, but it's corporate prayer. Paul is using the you in the plural, you all, when you all are together praying. And the great majority of the, the exhortations for prayer in the New Testament, it's plural. It's in the corporate aspect. Yes, there are instances, for example, Jesus in Matthew 16, where he's confronting the hypocrisy of some religious leaders, and he talks about the importance of praying by yourself. But even when he teaches us to pray, he uses our, deliver us, implying that we're going to be praying with our brothers and sisters. And it's a powerful, it's a powerful weapon for the church. Spurgeon, the great preacher Spurgeon, we know him for his preaching, but we forget that so much of his preaching was immersed in the prayers he was praying constantly. He had a group of people all the time praying for him. And he talks about how the, the power of prayer can vanquish hell. And he says, Beloved brethren, let us pray. We cannot all argue, but we can all pray. We cannot all be leaders, but we can all be pleaders. We can all be mighty in rhetoric, but we can all be prevalent in prayer. I would sooner see you eloquent with God than with men. Prayer links us with the eternal, the omnipotent, the infinite, and hence it's our chief resort. Our power comes as we are gathered together, joining our voices, humbling ourselves, and crying out to the Lord. Prayer, I, I would say that prayer, corporate prayer, is the church's trumpet call. As we join our voices together, it's our trumpet call. And what are we doing? We are calling the Lord to rise up. We are joining our voices and crying out, We need you, Lord. We cannot do that on our own. So it's the trumpet call of the church. Similar to Psalm 3-7, Arise, O Lord, save us, O our God. Psalm 7-6, Arise, O Lord, in your anger, lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. That's all we are doing when we are praying. And let me tell you that Satan trembles. You know, Satan is not scared of big churches with thousands of people who don't pray. He's much more scared of a small church that prays than a large group of people who never humble themselves before the Lord in prayer. People who believe that they can do on their own wisdom, on their own power, on their own methods 
Think about the Great Reformation. The Great Reformation was a great spiritual battle against the forces of evil. Do you think Satan was happy with men and women translating the Bible and spreading the word abroad? Do you think Satan was happy with that? No. He was furious, angry that the word of God was spreading. Churches were being reformed. And we think about Luther, Martin Luther. Luther's battles were primarily grounded in prayer. So, he says, we must, after all, achieve everything through prayer. To be able to keep what we have and to defend it against our enemies, the devil and the world. And whatever we are to obtain, we must seek here in prayer. Therefore, prayer is comfort, strength, and salvation for us. Our protection against all enemies. And our victory over them. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? And do we show that by our lives? We should. We ought to. So much of the Reformation, think about the Reformers teaching about prayer. Think about Martin Luther teaching his barber how to pray the Lord's Prayer. He was always teaching people how to pray. Why? Because they're coming out, 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 out of a cult that you have no living prayers. Think about Calvin and all the other reformers, how much emphasis they put in prayer, in teaching people how to pray, in asking for a prayer for themselves. And if you want to see a reformation in the church, brothers and sisters, it will not take without prayer. Corporate prayer. It has been said that the church's prayer meeting is a revelation of the heart of the congregation. We look at the heart of it. How do you want to see the heart of a church? Just look at their prayer meeting. How is their prayer meeting? Because the prayer is when we humble ourselves before the Lord. We are vulnerable. We show ourselves to be powerless, weak, and that we need Him. And to be honest, prayer meeting is not attractive. Corporate prayer is not attractive to the carnal mind. Because it's one thing, you can even think about the sermon and the preaching also is, is foolishness for the carnal mind. A man is standing and speaking. And, but at least you can learn something, right? You can learn history. You can learn some cool stuff through the preaching. But prayer, prayer, corporate prayer, you don't see anything. Just people standing and speaking to someone you People cannot even see. That's why it's not attractive. So if you want to bring carnal people to church, one of the first things you need to do is stop with corporate prayer. Because that's just madness. But we must be striving to be the opposite of that. Because that's what the Lord wants from us. A time that we just gather together as a body, one voice, one accord, showing our dependence on Him. Amen? And that's what Paul is bringing here to this church. The need. Do you want to stand firm? Do you want to overcome the schemes of Satan? Here is going to be how. You guys need to be united in prayer. So, 
as we come to the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians, as we are talking about prayer and, and spiritual warfare, I just want to remind you that that's one of the primary books in the whole Bible about the topic of prayer and spiritual warfare. Okay, when you want to study spiritual warfare, where do you go to? Ephesians. Also, Ephesians is a very important book on the topic of prayer. So here's one example. Think about the book of Romans. The book of Romans has 433 verses. Out of these 433 verses, only 56 deals with prayer. Now the book of Ephesians has 155 verses, 31 verses dealing with prayer. So James Roscup, he says, despite being only about one-third the length of Romans, Ephesians has, pro has proportionally more than 55% as many verses directly related to prayer. Why? Because those Christians in Ephesus, Paul saw a great need for them to be learning and applying the importance of prayer in their spiritual warfare. Many Christians in Ephesus, think about Ephesus, many Christians in Ephesus were coming from a very syncretistic lifestyle, strong emphasis on the power of the gods. And remember, which god was the primary god in Ephesus? What is the, the main goddess of Ephesus? Diana, Artemis, yes, that was the main goddess in Ephesus. And if you study about Diana or Artemis, she's well known for having cosmic powers. She's known by her cosmic powers, powers above all powers. Huh, isn't that fascinating that that's one of the things that Paul talks the most about, the powers, the powers, the powers. And who has the power over all powers? Christ Jesus. So he never denies the reality of the power of God. The spiritual battle that they are, but Paul wants them to see that power is not in Artemis, in Diana, but Jesus has conquered and he has greater power than them. Uh, Clinton Arnold, he says, Nowhere else in any of his writings does Paul elaborate more on the nature of the struggle that believers face with their supernatural enemies than he does in Ephesians. That's fascinating. Why? Why is the book of Ephesians unique when it comes to spiritual warfare? You've got to understand the background, what's happening with those Christians, where they're coming from. The initial wave of converts during Paul's Ephesian, Ephesian ministry had great difficulty renouncing their magical practice and held onto them until God sovereignly intervened through the episode involving, involving Siva. Then he says, and if you, if you read Acts, you know what he's talking about here. He says, all who more recently turned to Christ and joined the church would find that their fear of evil spirits and demonic powers did not immediately vanish. They were greatly tempted to hold onto some of their household idols and magical texts in, in spite of the precedent set by the book burning episode. Do you remember in Acts? So what he's saying is, these people are coming to church, and yes, they have been saved, but you've got to understand their background, what they're trying to bring to church, and all the spiritual, all the magical things that they had in their background. And coming from Brazil, or if you have been in Africa, in other places, you know how strong these things are. 
And they try to bring this to church, and that's what Paul is exhorting them. Stop with that. Now, our power is not going to come through reading, reciting this Gentile, these pagan things, but through prayer, through the church praying together. So, Paul wants the Ephesians to be aware, and he wants us to be aware. Would you agree that the church in America need desperately to be mindful of the power of the spiritual reality? Especially Salem. Think about Salem. One of the darkest places in the U.S. Isn't that? One of the darkest places here. How desperately we need to be grounded in the reality of spiritual warfare and the power of corporate prayer. So, and as we come here to Ephesians 6, I, I told you before that Paul is not creating something new. He's actually developing uh, this conclusion of the letter from what he taught before. So I want to encourage you when you go home today to read and compare Ephesians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 6. It's, you see how Ephesians chapter 3 is the conclusion of the doctrinal, the doctrinal portion of Ephesians. And then if Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 is the conclusion of the practical portion of Ephesians. And there are so many similarities between these two portions. In both of them, we have Paul dealing with prayer. We have power. We have spiritual forces of evil. And you see how without prayer, the church and the Apostle Paul, they cannot fulfill their calling. So I encourage you to go home today and, 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 and read Ephesians 3. This part Paul is praying for them and then compare with Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. So as we come, and now you can go back to Ephesians 6, and you can see starting verse 18 through 20. Uh, Paul just finished talking about the armor, the armor of God, and now he's going to talk about prayer. And he's not dividing, he's not separating, he's just adding prayer to the spiritual struggle of the church. So let's go to verse 18. Verse 18, Paul says, Praying, so he's continuing, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert, with all perseverance make supplication for all the saints. So some, some Christians, some pastors, some scholars, they, they come to this portion here, and they think that the prayer is actually part of the armor. So they say that the 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 prayer here is the seventh piece of the armor. I, I disagree with that because I don't think there is uh, grammatical. It's not fitting. Paul doesn't compare prayer to any other part of the armor. So instead of looking at the prayer as another part of the armor, I think it's better for us to see as prayer as a vital element in spiritual warfare, and that's how we are going to stand firm in the Lord also. So, instead of seeing prayer as another part of the armor, it's more accurate to understand that one of the ways that the church put on Christ, that we put on the armor of God, is how? Through corporate prayer. Yes. How is the church going to put on Christ? Praying together. Corporate prayer is the energy that enables the church to wear the armor of God. We have been seeing that the armor is who? 
Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the armor. How do we put on Christ? Think about If you're going to ask Paul, Paul, how do we put on Christ? You're always telling us to put on Christ. You told us to put on the armor. How do we put on? You would say, in different ways, as we are singing, through the preaching, through the fellowship. But one way that Paul is targeting here is by corporate prayer. When the church is praying together, we are all together on our knees, humbling ourselves. We are actually removing the old garments, and we are putting on Christ. That's what Paul is telling us. Think about union. We are in union with Christ. That's the work of God Himself. He brought us into union with Christ. And now we cultivate that union through communion. Communion with Christ. Fellowship with Him. And we have communion with Christ as we are singing, the preaching, uh, the ordinances, fellowship. But especially, I would say especially, when we pray together. And that's what Paul is telling us. Uh, as I said, prayer is very important in Ephesians. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15. And you can see from verse 15 through 23. It's Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. So that's one prayer. He begins basically the letter with a prayer. And then he's going to finish this portion of doctrine with another prayer. Look at chapter 3, verse 14 through 21. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So you see that right in the beginning of the letter, Paul prays twice for the Ephesians. And if you read these prayers, he's going to talk about the power of God. The Spirit of God helping them to understand the power. And then you come to Ephesians chapter 6. Now Paul is telling them to pray. So what Paul is doing is actually, follow me. Follow my example. How are you going to pray in the same way that I have been praying for you? That's very important. And it's important for us to ask ourselves. Can I tell others to imitate me when it comes to prayer? Corporate prayer. That's what Paul is doing. You see, I, I, I have been praying for you. I have been praying for you. Now you pray for me and you follow me. And he says that praying at all times in the Spirit. And that has, been, has brought confusion to the church. What is to pray in the Spirit? Some people think it's just this ecstatic, uh, mindless utterance of tongues that nobody can understand. I would disagree with that. I think that to pray in the Spirit is... Basically, to see what Paul has already spoken about the Holy Spirit in Ephesians. So, if you go through Ephesians, you see that Paul tells that the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. He has sealed the believer, chapter 1, verse 13. The Holy Spirit gives wisdom and revelation to the church, chapter 1, verse 17. The Holy Spirit gives us access to the Father, 218. So, to pray in the Spirit, we can come to the Father. He makes us the dwelling of God, chapter 2, verse 22. 
The Holy Spirit empowers the church, chapter 3, verse 5. The Holy Spirit gives unity to the church, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. The Holy Spirit renews our mind, chapter 4, verse 23. And we are called to be filled with the Holy Spirit, chapter 5, verse 18. So that's what Paul has been saying about the Holy Spirit throughout his letter. And now he tells us to pray in the Spirit. And I believe to pray in the Spirit is not just a mind-numbing, mindless, gibberish. No, it's actually to pray guided, empowered, under the direction of the Holy Spirit. That's what to pray in the Spirit means. That the Holy Spirit is guiding you. He's controlling you. He's the one who is directing you. We are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. We saw earlier, just the verse earlier, that Paul talks about the sword of the Spirit. Paul just talked about the sword of the Spirit. And what is the sword of the Spirit? He says the Word of God. And now he tells us to pray in the Spirit. So there is this connection between praying the Spirit and the sword of the Spirit. And that implies that our prayers, if we are praying the Spirit, we are going to be praying what? In accordance with the Word of God. Amen? So to pray in the Spirit also involves that we are praying in accordance with what the Spirit has revealed to us in His Word. Paul identified the Word of God as the sword of the Spirit. So prayer in the Spirit is prayer that flows from understanding His Word. As we read the Word, the Spirit moves us to pray. Praying the Spirit is thus not some strange mystical experience, but rather praising, thanking, and asking God for things that are in line with the words of the Scripture. That the Spirit Himself inspired. Amen? I like what Sinclair Ferguson says. He says, Praying in the Spirit is prayer that conforms to the will and purpose of the Holy Spirit. And what is, where do we find the will and purpose of the Spirit? In His Word. Yes, yes. So, to pray in the Spirit, as we see Paul moving here, is that we are guided, empowered, directed by the Spirit. That's inseparable from the Word of God. And that's important because, brothers and sisters, is prayer worship? Is prayer worship? Yes. Prayer is worship. We worship the Lord by praying. And every act of worship must be what? Guided by the revelation of God. We can never offer a strange fire. So even our prayers must be instructed by the word of God to be pleasing to God. Amen. We also see the Trinity here. That's beautiful how Paul puts the Trinity. He, he says... He talks about, you can see, finally be strong in the Lord. He's referring to the Lord Jesus and the strength of His arm. Put on the whole armor of God the Father. That's the armor that God the Father is giving. And He's giving us His Son for us to put on. And then He adds the Spirit. So we see the three persons of the Trinity helping us in our struggle, empowering us as we face our enemy. So God, as the divine warrior, makes His weaponry available. It's the armor of God. Christ Jesus is the armor, and He has been exalted to a position of power. He's the one who empowers us. And then, of course, that leads to the Holy Spirit, who puts us in communion all together. So the Father longs to hear our prayers, because they are, when you are praying, we are praying in union with the Son whom He loves. That's why the Father loves our prayers. It's not because you are cool. 
not like the Lord loves to hear Nestor's prayer because it's Nestor. Amen? Not that he loves to hear my prayer because it's me. No, it's because of my union with his beloved son. That's the only reason why he loves our prayers. Because we are in the beloved, Ephesians 1. We are in the Son, the perfect mediator. The Father is delighted and well pleased with our prayers because we pray in Jesus' name, according to the character and will of the Son. So the Son is right now, you think about the Trinitarian aspect of prayer. The Son is right now interceding for His church. The Lord Jesus loves to be our, our mediator praying. And then you have the Holy Spirit who empowers us to pray in a way that honors God. So, what a company we have. We have the Father longing to hear our prayers. You have the Son who is praying for us and He loves to mediate our prayers. And then you have the Holy Spirit empowering us, working through us, so we can pray in a way that pleases the Lord. So, we, are, we have a good company when it comes to prayer. The triune God. Amen? So we see Paul talking about prayer and prayer and prayer, prayer earlier, prayer now. And the question is, what is prayer? Amen? We are going to be talking about prayer these next two Sundays, three Sundays. What is prayer? If somebody was to ask you, hey, you guys are always talking about praying. What, what is prayer? I, oh, Elizabeth, I, I, I heard you talk about praying. What is prayer? What is Christian prayer? How, how would you answer that? What is prayer? You see, we, we are surrounded by confusion when it comes to prayer. For most people, prayer is primarily, primarily a private and personal spiritual discipline. That It could be just this meditation. So people think that this quiet time of silence is biblical prayer. And you are just waiting to hear from God. But basically, if you go through these scriptures, prayer is primarily we speaking to God. God speaks to us through where? Through His Word. How many cases have you seen of people going into a lifestyle of sin and they say, Oh, I prayed and I felt peace about that. As if God told them that was okay to divorce a wife, a spouse. Or to live in fornication? Or get a job that will not glorify the Lord? And they just say, oh, I prayed about that. As if just praying was, oh, okay. God told me it's okay. Huh. That's not how it works. Prayer is primarily we, we speaking to Him. And as you go through the scriptures, prayer is primarily us calling on God to come through on His promises. Prayer is coming before the face of God, asking Him to do what He has promised in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I, I really like what Gary, Gary Miller writes. He says, Prayer begins in the Bible as a cry for God to do what He has promised. The first mention of prayer is in Genesis 4. And on that day, they start calling on the name of the Lord. Calling on the name of the Lord for Him to come and accomplish His promise of the seed. So he says, prayer begins in the Bible as a cry for God to do what He has promised. To deal with the reality of sin by delivering on His covenant promises. 
To pray is to ask God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It is to admit our weakness and appeal to His awesome strength. I think that's a beautiful definition of prayer. Very sound, very biblical. We're calling on the name of the Lord. Prayer is alliance to God's kingdom. Prayer is actually rebellion against the kingdom of darkness. We are calling on God to come and act. And if you adopt this definition of prayer and you come to Ephesians chapter 6, it fits very well. Praying. Praying. Why? Why should we be praying? We are calling on the name of the Lord for Him to do what He has promised. And what He has promised, that He will be with us, that He will empower us, that He will be our shield. So that makes complete sense. The church is praying, is calling on the name of the Lord. Come, Lord, we cannot do, but you have promised that you will be with us. You have promised that your church will triumph. So come, clothe us with Christ so we can stand strong. So, that was just the introduction. That's why you're going to have to spend some time here the next few Sundays. So let's start walking through verse 18 now. Okay, so you see the comprehensiveness of prayer. Paul says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So you see how comprehensive, how extensive, how expensive is prayer. It's something that we should never be bored with. <laughs> You know, sometimes you get bored praying. Oh, it's kind of boring. But if you ask Paul, is praying boring? How? It's the most expensive, extensive, comprehensive thing we can do to pray. So he says, first of all, praying at all times. That's what the ESV says, praying at all times, all occasions. And why should we pray in all occasions and in all times? First of all, because the Holy Spirit is with us all the time. Does the Holy Spirit say, hey, I'm going to take a break now. I'm going to leave you guys. I'm really tired of you. Because if He did that, then we could not pray. Amen? If the Holy Spirit left us. But His promise is that He's always with us. And because the Holy Spirit is always with us, we can always and must always pray. He doesn't forsake us. He's always with us. Uh, the expression at all times, that's, that's the ESV. If you have the NIV, it says on all occasions, I like that. Or praying always, that's the King James Version. Uh, actually, the Greek word there is kairos. Kairos. It's not chronos. It's kairos, implying seasons. Specific seasons. And that's what the, the Lord is telling us. Paul is calling the church to pray in all occasions, in all seasons. Under persecution or peace, in times of joy or affliction, in times of prosperity or poverty, in, in, in calm times or stormy times, we must be always praying together in no occasions. There is not a single season in the life of the church that you can take a break from praying together as a church. There should never be a Sunday when we don't pray together. There should never be a meeting when we don't pray together. That's very similar to what Paul tells Timothy. To be prepared to preach the word when? 
When? In season, out of season. That's the same word. The same word here. There's not a time, Timothy, when you can just stop preaching the word. Oh, maybe now things are hard, so maybe you can do something else instead of preaching the word because that's going to bring persecution. No, you always preach the word. And the same with prayer. It's not because, oh, now we are going through a comfortable time. We can just stop praying. No, we pray every season of the church's life. We must be praying together. It's tempting and easy for us to stop assembling to pray and stop prioritizing congregational prayers when everything is going well. Everything's going good. Or maybe I'm too busy. Oh, this season of my life is so busy, I just cannot be praying with the church. Or this season of my life is just so painful, I cannot be with the church. Can we do that? We can't. Think about the church. Is there a season in the life of the church that we can say, Oh, we don't need to pray anymore. We arrived there now. No, we must be always, always praying. I like what Clint Arnold, he says, he says, the expression that Paul uses here reminds us of his earlier admonition to make most of the kairon, the time, because the days are evil. Believers need to be in a constant state of prayer because they do not know when they will come under a demonic assault and thus need always to be ready. Amen? Also, there will always be people in the community, in the church, who are under attack and desperately need the members of the body to be appealing to God on their behalf. So let us not be selfish and say, Oh man, I'm, I'm doing good. I don't need to be praying anymore. We are in a body and maybe I'm doing well, but you can be certain that there are people in the church under assaults of Satan. Amen. One of the marks, would say that one of the marks of a healthy church is a church that's always praying. And I think that's one of the things that it's missing in the Nine Marks book. Because I don't think, I can't remember now, I don't know if they have congregational prayer there. I don't remember. But you can write down, the mark of a healthy church is that they're always praying as a church together. Every season and every occasion of our lives, we are dependent on the Lord. The Lord is near so we must pray always, every occasion. Amen? You know what happens when we stop praying? We start, we start showing ourselves to be powerful. When we stop praying, it's because we are saying, Hey, I can do that on our own. When this church here stops praying, we are saying, We don't need God anymore. We are strong enough to do that on our own. Think about Jesus. Our captain, the warrior, the greatest warrior of all, he was always praying. His whole life is marked by prayer. Every season of his life is marked by prayer. So, for example, if you read especially uh, the Gospel of Luke, you see Jesus prayed during his baptism, before choosing the disciples, before feeding the crowds, at the Mount of Transfiguration, when he came to raise Lazarus, while in the Gethsemane, prior to his crucifixion, during his crucifixion. And now he's praying. So every season of the Lord's life was marked by prayer. The author of Hebrews said that he's praying right now, interceding for us. And we must follow our captain. Amen? As soldiers of his army, we must follow him. As members of 
His body, He's the head, we must follow Him. As slaves of Jesus, He's our Lord, so we must follow Him. To quote Clinton once again, he says, For Paul, prayer is not a perfunctory obligation to be fulfilled before God two or three times a day. A checklist. Oh, that's good, I prayed today. Oh. No, prayer is an extraordinary opportunity to communicate with God and appeal to Him for help on behalf of all believers all the time. Maybe this truth for all of us here. Instead of seeing prayer as this burdensome obligation to see as a privilege, they can commune with God and lift up other brothers and sisters before the throne of grace. Amen? And second, that's the last point today. He says, here's the second, all. With all prayer and supplication. Praying at all times in the Spirit, all prayer and supplication. Paul is the champion when it comes to the vocabulary of prayer. He has at least 16 different words for prayer. That's how Paul, he works. He has at least 16, 16 different words for prayer. He is the one who has the most expensive vocabulary when it comes to prayer. And when Paul says here with prayer and supplication, it's not that Paul is saying those are the only two types of prayer that you can use in your spiritual warfare. Just prayer and supplication. Do not bring thanksgiving. Do not bring confession of sin. That's not what Paul is saying. He's using these two words here as, as if it was hendiadis. He's using these two words to express a whole, a whole group of other types of prayer that we have. So, the Bible shows us that our prayers have supplication, humiliation, adoration, appreciation. Those all parts of prayer that would be put in between these two layers here. Prayer and supplication. So, we can add other things here. So, as you go through the scriptures, you see the other aspects of prayer that come with prayer and supplication. It would be adoration. Praising our triune God for His majestic attributes. That goes in prayers. A lot of times we start our prayers by declaring His greatness, His glory, how He's completely awesome in power and love and mercy. Also, there is humiliation, lamentation, confession of sins in our prayers. We imitate our Lord Jesus through supplication and intercession as we are falling on our knees on behalf of others. That's supplication. As I come before the Lord on behalf of my brothers, I have Carson, and I come before the Lord in, a, in supplication. I'm falling on the Lord's feet on behalf of my brother and praying for him. Those are all very important aspects of prayer. Benediction. Paul always he ends his letters with a prayer of benediction. Oh, the Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. Oh, may the love of the Lord guard your hearts and your minds. Amen? That's a beautiful thing for us to do as we are praying. A prayer of benediction upon each other. And there is another aspect that we often neglect, and that's the precatory prayers. We, we completely ignore the aspect of prayer in the life of the church, the precatory prayers. Oh, but I thought that Jesus is love, that there is no such thing as in the... Oh, just read your Bible. Read Old and the New Testament. And you see that precatory prayers are part of the New Covenant. So, for example, Paul says, Alexander, the coppersmith, did me great harm. 
May the Lord repay him according to his deeds. What is that? A precatory prayer. May the Lord judge him. Paul says to the Galatians, If anyone is teaching something different from the sound gospel, let him be anathema. Be judged, condemned. That's a precatory prayer. You go to Revelation and the saints, the saints under the altar, what are they saying? How long, O oh Lord? And are you going to tell me that you are holier than the saints under the altar? And they're saying, how long, O oh Lord, until you judge the earth? And it's beautiful because we are humbling ourselves and say, we need your kingdom to come. Not my selfish kingdom, not my own power, but yours to come. And bring vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And that's why precatory prayer is beautiful. We are saying, Lord, do what you have promised. Come. Come. Your kingdom come. And when God's kingdom come, there is a destruction of the kingdom of darkness. So it's this type of prayer. With all these things here. Adoration, confession of sin, intercession, benediction. The precatory prayers that empowers us in the Lord. So when our prayers are flowing from the Bible, empowered by the Holy Spirit, in conformity to Jesus' character, we are empowered to overcome the schemes of Satan. Amen? Just one more verse. Please open in Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Verses 5 through 7. Just coming towards the end of verse 5. It says, The Lord is at hand. What does it mean? The Lord is near. The Lord is with us. God's presence is with us. It says, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer, supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You remember when I was preaching through Philippians? Philippians is a military letter. Philippi was a military colony. There's so much of military vocabulary. And as Paul is talking about praying here, he's also applying that into the spiritual warfare. Anxiety is a weapon of Satan. To lead us to despair, for us to stop trusting the Lord. And Paul says, do not be anxious. Instead of being anxious, and he's telling the whole church, the whole church, pray. Pray together. Pray together how? With supplication, thanksgiving, all these things that we see through all these scriptures. And then what does he say? What happens when the church is on her knees praying, crying out to the Lord? What does Paul say? Who comes to defend us? The peace, the shalom of God will come and guard and guard, a military word that was used for troops coming and surrounding a place with protection. You think about the, a whole army of the bravest soldiers coming and surrounding a place for protection. 
And that's what Paul is saying. When the church is praying, God comes with His shalom, His violent peace. Why a violent peace? Because it's a violent war. So you need this mighty peace to come and just surround the church. As if it was an army protecting the church. So congregational prayer with scripture, structured prayer is a powerful weapon. Amen? Have we not experienced that? The power of corporate prayer. Always getting together, praying, humbling ourselves before the Lord. Crying out to Him, calling upon the name of the Lord for Him to do what He has promised to us in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, let us be wise. And let us use the weaponry that the Lord has given us. It's beautiful. Prayer, supplication, confession of sins, thanksgiving, praise, adoration, benediction. All the weapons that the Lord has given us. And that destroys Satan. Satan hates. Satan hates when the church is joining together with one voice. Confessing their sins. Humbling themselves before the Lord. Crying out to the Lord. Speaking benediction upon each other. Satan hates that. So we together joining our voices. Calling the name of the Lord. That's our trumpet call. Rise up, O oh Lord. Defend us. We need you. We cannot do that on our own. So, may the Lord bless us and help us to always, always be praying the Spirit because we have the Holy Spirit within us guiding us, empowering us to pray in all occasions. Let us never put our guards down and think that we are doing good. We are living in evil days. And we have an enemy that hates us. Let us always be praying. Praying for one another. Praying for each other. Amen. And the promise is. He will send a battalion. As a peace. Just to surround us. And protect us. And guard us. In the battle. Amen. Oh Father we. We thank you for your great love towards us. In sending your son. Thank you for this time that we can hear your word. And then we can pray to you. Speak to you through prayer. Speak to you through singing. Lord it's beautiful. How we use this. Times of fellowship. To build us up. And put Christ. As our garment. As our armor. We need Jesus. We need Jesus to clothe us. So we humble ourselves before you, Lord. We, we declare that we are powerless. We can do nothing apart from you. And we need one another. We need each other to, to join our hearts together in prayer, in supplication, thanksgiving. So unite our hearts, Lord. Unite our hearts as one body. And let your peace come as, as a mighty army to protect us. That's your promise. And you are faithful. We have tasted your promise, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.